0: All right, so if you are not aware, last week was Valentine's Day, and so as we dive into a topic of, of dating this morning, I just thought it'd be really helpful. If you aren't in that season of dating, I'm going to give you a little bit of helpful advice, some practical things to help you be in that, single, that, that relationship time. Uh, so I have some, some pickup lines for us as we get started this morning. Uh, And some of you want to go ahead and grab your notepads and make sure you're ready to write some of these down. Almost surely to guarantee to change your relationship status, right? Probably not in a good way. Uh, But but here we go. Here's some uh, pickup lines for you. Are we ready? Are you a magician? Because when I look at you, everything else disappears. Right? Okay. Are you religious? Because you are the answer to all of my prayers. somebody took it took a little while yeah do you believe in love at first sight or should i walk by again (laughs) is your name google because you're the answer to all of my questions and the final one i would say god bless you you got to wait for the moment right like maybe a sneeze or a cough i would say god bless you but clearly he already has so so there you go uh, so you know, try those, and you will remain single for the rest of your life. Um, so they're they're cheesy, they're terrible, terrible pickup lines, and and I get that. And, and so I. I'm one of these people, and here, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am, I am a helpless romantic. Like I actually quite enjoy chick flicks. Don't tell my wife, because we might be watching them a bit more, but, but periodically, I enjoy a good chick flick. I enjoy like uh, one of those happy movies, and so I was looking up some lines, some, some romantic movie quotes, and perhaps you guys have heard some of these, but from Jerry Maguire, the statement, you complete me. You had me at hello. Like, it's considered by most as the most romantic quote in a movie. Then there's from, the, from When Harry Met Sally. Here's this quote. It says, When you realize you want to spend your rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Right? Pretty romantic. Uh, then this is one of my favorites from the movie, The Vow. It says, I vow to fiercely love you in all of your forms, now and forever. I promise to never forget that this is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of love. Like, Use these lines on people instead of the cheesy pickup lines. like these, There's a reason these are romantic. Then there's From the Fault in Our Stars. Maybe you've read the book, seen the film. Uh, it, would be, it would be a privilege to have my heart broken by you. Apparently that's romantic, but I think that's just weird. Uh, but... It, <laughs> But it's in quotes, it's, it's supposed to be romantic. My favorite comes from the movie Sweet Home Alabama. All right. And so Reese Witherspoon, you know, it's going to be great uh, here. And I'm going to try to break out my country accent because it's got to be it's Reese Witherspoon. Right. We got to speak like that. And says, you're the first boy I ever kissed, Jake. And I want you to be a la- the last. And then Jake asks, why would you want to marry me anyway? And she says, so I can kiss you anytime that I want. And, and so it's like this really romantic thing that happens. And, and here's the thing. When we think about dating, when we think about love, when we think about a topic like this, I think a lot of us, like, that's the idea that pops into our mind, right? We start to think about, oh, it's all about this romance. It's all about wowing a person. It's all about doing these things that can really impress this person to, you know, to say these, these cheesy pickup lines, to, to be able to quote these things that are from the movies that, that make us get all misty-eyed or make our eyeballs start to sweat. Like, whatever it may be, like, I think a lot of times that's how we think about dating. That's how we think about romance, but the problem with that is that's going to lead us to a number of different things. It's gonna be some problems with that. And I'll admit I already have, I'm a hopeless romantic. But when you start thinking about this, is that is the only thing that we, we view dating as, this, this, this romantic experience, we're gonna be left disappointed, right? If, if, if dating is all about just being charming, then there's a problem that's gonna happen. Because here's the reality, and some of you guys have experienced this in your own life. You can be anyone can be charming for an hour and a half. Anyone can be charming for a short period of time, right? Like charm is one of those things we can turn off, we can turn on. But I'm just a question, who do you want to be married to? Someone who is charming or someone who has character? Do you want to be married to someone who is charming or someone of a person of character and a person of integrity? Proverbs 31, 30, it talks about you know, the, the, this godly woman. And, but I think there's some helpful advice for us here. In Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says this. It says, charm is deceptive. Beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised, greatly praised. So catch that. Charm is deceptive. And I think at some point, some point in all of our lives, whether it's been with a, with a partner or a used car salesman, like we know that to be true, is that charm can be deceptive. We find that beauty will not last. For some of us, myself included, beauty never started. But it's something that's not going to last forever. It's not going to last for a long period of time. What will last is character. What will last is integrity. A few months ago, I had a friend of mine who was getting ready to, to go on a date, And so he, like, randomly, like, FaceTime, oh, I guess it was uh, WhatsApp video chats me. And he's just, like, talking to me. He's like, hey, I have this date with this girl that I met at this shop. Um, What should I do? And, like, if you have dating advice and want, don't call me. Like, it's probably not the best person to ask for advice. Like, I could quote some movie titles to you and some movie quotes. But he just asked me, like, what should I do? I really like this girl. And and so thankfully, this dude is a really good guy. And so I was just like, hey, man, be yourself. Be the generous, the kind, the compassionate person that you are. Because if she sees that, if she doesn't want to be a part of that, that's her problem, not yours. And so this was my advice. Be a person of character. Be the person that you are. And so as we get ready to walk through this idea of dating, here's what I want us to set all of this up with. The purpose of dating is to evaluate who will be a good spouse to live on mission with. And as we think about this idea of dating, I think this may be the one that is countercultural to our world more than any of the other topics that we have discussed. But the purpose of dating is to evaluate who we can live on mission with as we move into a relationship of marriage. And I hope you guys have caught the theme of this, and Stephen set this up at the start, is all of our, leveraging all of our relationships for the sake of the gospel, leveraging all of our relationships for the sake of the kingdom. And so as in our singleness... We talked about how Paul leverages his life. He uses his gift of singleness for the sake of the gospel. In marriage, we can see a story of someone like Aquila and Priscilla who use their life, they leverage their life for the sake of the gospel. They invite Paul into their home and, and they allow, they just live life on mission and they use their marriage as a, as a way to, to help mission, to push the church forward. And so all of our lives are to be lived on mission. And so how are we leveraged? How can we use this time to leverage it For the sake of the gospel. Because here's the thing, dating is more than just for fun. Now, dating can be fun, sure, but here's the reality, if all that you are dating for is all you think of dating is just to be fun, you are going to be left constantly and consistently disappointed. Because sometimes it's not going to be fun. And sometimes they, those people aren't a lot of fun to be around. And we, we see that to be the case. And what happens, though, if we begin to view dating as just this fun experience for me, the season that I can end just to enjoy some time, to have, have a good life, just to be fun, what we're ending up doing is we are, we're using that person for our own pleasure. We're not treating them as the people that God created them to be. We're using them as a person for our pleasure and for what we want. And so as we dive through this topic, we're going to just answer three questions, really. They're real simple questions. is why date, who to date, and how to date. All right? Pretty simple. That's what we're going to—we're going to dive through these topics. Now, I don't know how much you've read through the Bible. Maybe you've read it cover to cover multiple times. Maybe you've read parts of it. But here's the thing. As we open up the Bible, there is not a text. Paul doesn't write, and for dating— He doesn't write about that. There are actually no passages in the Scripture that that talk about dating, per se. Because here's the thing. When the Bible was written, arranged marriages, family marriages, they they were the norm. And so there's not a lot written in Scripture about how to date. However, while the Bible doesn't speak on this directly and specifically, I think there's a whole lot that we can learn from the Scriptures about evaluating the relationships that we are in. And isn't that what dating is anyway? It's an evaluation of a relationship. It's evaluating, does this, is this going to move to a different stage? Is this going to be something more than it is? And so there's a ton of scriptures that talk about evaluating the relationships that we are in. A lot of them in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, we're going to flip through a few passages in the book of Proverbs just to get a, a groundwork, a basis for like this idea of evaluating. So that's the first answer. Is like, why date is is to evaluate. It's an evaluation process. So let's start in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Here's what Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, here's what he writes. He says, "Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Associate with fools and you will get into trouble." Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. Associate with fools, and you are going to get in trouble. So as we begin to evaluate relationships, we can start to see, is this person living a life that I want to live? Is their life in a direction that I want to go? Because the reality is, if we are walking with the wise, we are going to become wise. Is this person having a life, are they living a life that I would want? Because we're going to be formed by this. And so if we're associating with fools, We're going to come to trouble. And so that's one of the first things we could ask. Is this person a wise person or are they foolish? He continues on, flip to chapter 17. Proverbs 17, verse 19. Solomon writes again, he said, anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. Anyone who trusts in high walls invites disaster. So here's a good evaluation question to ask. Does the person that I am spending time with, do they, are they super argumentative? Do they always like to fight? And here's the thing, like this is my go-to like when I used to pick Facebook fights with people. This was my go-to thing. When I would see people post things that were just trying to get in a fight, I would just like to post, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. Just to remind people. But here's the thing. Like, is the person that we are in a relationship with, are they someone who constantly and consistently wants to fight? Do they have to have the last word? Are they continually arguing about something? Because if we love that, he who loves the argument, who who loves a quarrel, loves sin. And so, are they trusting, in the second part of this passage, are they trusting in things that they are built Where are they placing their security? Where are they placing their value? Where are they placing their their love? What are they caring for? He continues on Proverbs chapter 22. Let's keep going. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Solomon writes this. He says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. You guys catch that? You will be like them. So is this person that we are allowing into our relational life? If this person that we are dating, is it someone that we want to become like? Because we will. And notice that we begin to see is like we're associating with these people. We're we're giving into this. And he moves past something that's so much more. He moves past this idea of like you're going to become like them. And Solomon gets to the, the most significant thing is... It will endanger your soul. Friends, dating is just not about your happiness. There's something so much more at stake here. There's something so much more important in our lives than us just being happy. We have a soul. And if we are associating, if we are committed and we are connected to the wrong people, it can endanger our soul. And Solomon is letting us know your soul can be a danger. It can be in danger. So we've got to be looking out. There's something much more important in this dating process is do, do they make me happy? There's something so much more at play. Final passage in Proverbs I want us to look at is Proverbs 25. 25, 24. It's one my, uh, my grandpa actually liked to quote quite a lot. He says this, It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. All right, Solomon, he's a man, he wrote this. So if we're going to say this from a girl's perspective, maybe it's, I don't know, better to have hemorrhoids than to live with a lazy man. I don't know. But like, just think of this idea. It's better to live with any terrible thing that you can think of than with a lazy husband. Like, you can fill in the blank. I don't know why hemorrhoids came into my mind, but that's the first thing that popped. That's painful. I guess a pain in the butt, sure. All right, so, uh, all right, we're we're gonna get back on this before we get too far off. But it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome, with a nagging wife. And just think about this. This is why evaluation matters. This is why we walk through this process and we start to look, we start to ask these questions. Is this a person that I want to become? Are they living a life that I want to live? Are they walking in step in the same direction that I want to walk? And so we could continue, we could walk through Proverbs for a long time, continuing to look at different passages about evaluating the relationships, the friendships that we are in, but hopefully this is kind of a baseline for us. And so the question that is really begging of us, the question that is really asking us is, is the person that you are dating, the person that more than likely you are talking to the most, the person who has your ear the most, the person who you trust, do, are they living a life that you would like to live? Question is, are, are they heading in the direction that you want to go? Are they the type of person that you want to Come. Because we've, we've talked about this a lot. As, as creatures, as human beings, we are, we are formed by things. And we are going to be formed by the people that we are associating with. We're going to be formed by the people that we are surrounding ourselves with. I've often said when I was in student ministry, and even now it's true, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because our lives are going to start heading in the direction of the people that we begin to associate ourselves with. And Solomon, he he continues on in the book of Ecclesiastes. So Solomon, later on in his life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. He's kind of of looking back at his life. He's kind of surveying what what life has done. And what we realize in the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon says, hey, all of that good advice that I gave in the book of Proverbs, here's what happens in your life if you don't do any of that. And so the book of Ecclesiastes really is a, a case study of not following wise advice. But in Ecclesiastes 4... Solomon is talking about this idea of loneliness and about how having these things in life and just being lonely, not having anyone to truly give these things to, that it's meaningless, it's a chasing after the wind. And as you read through this, you're like, Solomon, how are you lonely, bro? You've got 700 wives, 300 concubines. Like, I don't know how you're lonely, but he he, he is. He's in this moment because he doesn't have someone truly who matters. But he he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Verses 9 through 12, I think this is a really powerful, powerful thing he writes. He says, Two people are better off than one, for if they help each other, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people laying together can keep each other warm, but how can you stay warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord cord is not easily broken." And I love these these four ideas that Solomon is setting up. First is this idea is like they can help each other to succeed. Here's a question for you. Who do you want helping you to succeed? Maybe more importantly, what do you want help succeeding in? Who is that person? The next thing he says, he says, if, so, if one of you falls, someone can reach out and help you up. And here's the question. Who do you want helping you up when you fall? Do you want someone who's going to laugh at you, make fun of you, and say, oh, I told you not to do that. I told you that was going to end up that way. I told you that was the direction you were going to go. Or do you want someone who can lift you up, help put you back on the right path, and be walking in the correct direction that you need to go? What type of person do you want helping you up? Next thing he talks about is keeping each other warm. And we're not talking about cuddling, okay? We're going to talk about this metaphorically. Because as we're in a dating topic, like we're not, we're not, we're not doing that, okay? And so, but it's this idea of like, who do you want keeping you warm? Who do you want being there for you along the way? Who do you want being around you and with you when times get tough and times get hard? Who can be there for you? The one that really gets me is this idea of two can stand back to back and conquer. Just picture this idea: you're you're in a battle, you have a sword, right? And you're you're getting ready to fight, and you can't watch your back right? Because I've never been in a sword fight, not a real sword fight. Like I've been in some pretend ones with like my brother, but I've never been in a real sword fight. But I would just have to guess that if you have to look behind you, it's probably not going to be a very good sword fight. It's probably not a good thing. And so here's this idea, someone who stands right back behind you, that is someone that you can trust. It's not someone you have to keep looking back and make sure they haven't bailed when times are hard. It's not someone you're going to have to to look back and see, okay, have have they gone to chase after someone else and to fight for them instead of for me? It's not someone that you have to be afraid of. It's someone that you have this deep confidence in knowing they have your back. Knowing they aren't going to abandon you when times are tough. Knowing that they are willing to fight for you, that they are willing to defend you, they are willing to lay down their life for you because we don't have time to look back. We don't have time to look behind us. And so as we continue to walk through this, we start to think about these ideas of dating. Here's the thing, is dating is not a status that we sit in without any momentum. Dating is not just something that you get into so that you can put it on your Facebook or whatever other social media that you, you are in. That's not what dating is. Dating is not the status that we stay in. It's something that we work through as we progress through so that we can see, is this a person that we want to be with? Dating is a process that we walk through to see, is this the kind of person that I'm going to get on a mission with as we begin to our life of marriage? And here's the thing. Is evaluating takes time and requires wisdom. You could, you could say dating too, whatever. We just use the word we're, we're using, evaluating, but dating takes time. Evaluating takes time and requires wisdom. When I, was in, when I was in student ministry, kids used to ask me all the time, how long should we date before we get married? I was like, well, you've been dating two weeks. Not that long. But the, my, my answer was always about two years. And that's not just my answer. Like, psychology would begin to tell you about 18 to 24 months is what is required for you to start to see every side of a person. That's about what it takes because we can all be charming for some period of time. About 18 to 24 months, like, it starts to change. And so this is, it requires time. It also requires wisdom. So we ask God, God, is this the type of person that you want me in relationship with? And if he says no, no. We listen, we do what he tells us to do. Is this the type of person that we need to be surrounding ourselves with? And here's one other thing that we begin to do. We often tend to think about dating as like this private thing that's just between two people where I actually think the Bible has a better idea, maybe not going all the way back to arranged marriages. But what if you had some close friends or some family members who knew you best and you invited them into that relationship? It's like, hey, do you think this this relationship is good? Do you think this person is good for me? Do you think this person brings out what is best in me? And actually have those people around us. And so dating and evaluating, it requires time. It also requires wisdom. Anybody in here seen the movie Frozen? The first one? Folks, you guys got to watch some Disney movies here. Like I talked about Encanto two weeks ago, Frozen this week. But here's the thing. There, there's this moment in the movie Frozen. It, it all kind of starts about 10 minutes in. Princess Anna, she meets, she meets Hans. Prince, Isle, Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. And he is a charmer. He wows her. They spend the whole night going through this romantic time talking about sandwiches and chocolate. And, and they fall madly in love. And Prince Hans asks Anna will you marry me? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. She has no question. And and so as you go through the movie, all right, you've had 10 years to watch this movie, so spoiler alert. (laughs) Prince Hans is the bad guy. All right. He's the evil villain of the movie. And and so you go and we see this in a moment. And and so Prince Hans, he turns out being the villain. He's trying to take over Arendelle and and Anna is trying to fall in love with him. And then there's this dude, Kristoff, in this movie. He's a little rough around the edges. But he's this man of character, he's this guy of integrity, and eventually, like is is what happens, she falls in love with Christoph. And and here's the advice for you: is is don't marry a Prince Hans when a Christoph might be around the corner. And if you haven't seen the movie, maybe that loses some value to you. (laughs) Let me just say this: don't marry a loser when there's someone else around the corner. Don't compromise. Don't just say, well, this is the last person, I guess. This is it. When there could be someone so much better in store. So that's, that's why, we, why we date. It's to evaluate. Question next, the one we're going to talk about is, is who to date. So here's what we're looking for when we come to dating is we're looking for someone of chemistry and of character. So chemistry and character. Chemistry is important. There are plenty of other people who are a lot more qualified to talk about that than I am. So we're going to focus in on the character aspect. I, chemistry is important. I don't want you to hear me say chemistry doesn't matter. It does. I'm just not going to talk about it because that's not my expertise. But character, character truly matters. I want you guys to picture with me. You're an athlone, okay? And you're handcuffed together with someone. All right, your, your hand, like, this, just follow me, okay? All right, so you're in Athlone, you're handcuffed together. One of you wants to go to Dublin. The other of you wants to go to Galway. Now, there are some serious questions that we would ask. One is, how'd you get handcuffed together in Athlone? But after we dealt with that question, we'd have to say, you know, how's that, how's that going to go? Because if one person wants to go to Galway and one person go, wants to go to Dublin, the only way that we are going to get there is eventually the stronger person is going to overpower the weaker one. And they are going to pull them in that direction. You both might get somewhere. But neither of you are going to be happy. And you start thinking about this idea. Think about this idea spiritually. Which, which direction are you heading? Because the weaker person is going to be overpowered by the stronger person. And if you begin to pull each other, like, which direction are you going to go? You will get somewhere, but you won't be happy. Because it is no fun to drag someone. It is no fun to be dragged. Drug, whatever. It's it's no fun to be drug or dragged. I don't know which one it is. Whichever one you'll feel. And here's the thing. Here's what I believe very deeply. is those who have sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ those who have sworn our allegiance to Jesus, we should not bind our lives together with those who haven't. Why? Because we are heading in opposite directions. Because the things that matter most to us are not the things that matter most to them. While chemistry is important, character is, is it's more important. And here's the thing for all of us. The most important thing about a person is what he or she thinks about God. So in your evaluation process, here's an important question to ask. What do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? Because the most important person, most important thing about any one of us is what we believe to be true about God because those beliefs will shape every single other thing that we do in our lives. All of our values, everything that we do will be shaped by who we believe Jesus to be and what we believe God to be. Who we think runs the universe will inform everything else that we do. And here's the thing. It is more than just this idea of going to church. There's so much more to life. There's so much more to this. And maybe this person doesn't walk with God and they, they, they give you this reassurance. Hey, we can go to church. You can go to church. That's great. That's fine. But just think about what's going to happen when there's kids involved. What's going to happen what, like, other than Sunday? What's going to go on? How are you going to raise those kids? What are going to be the values that you're going to instill into them? What does it matter? What is important? And so the most important thing is who someone he or she says they believe to be about God. And if we flip to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24, there's a really fascinating story that happens for us. And, and so in Genesis chapter 24, there's this guy, Abraham, who is going to find a wife for his son Isaac. And so he's setting out and making this plan to start seeing, like, what, what kind of wife do we want to find? So let's pick up Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. It says this. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and, on, and earth— that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Now, from the very start, there, the author of Genesis is wanting to make sure that we see the significance of what is playing out here. Notice Abraham does not just call a servant. He calls the servant, the one who has been with him the longest, the one who is in charge of everything in his household. So something is really significant that is going on here. And so Abraham calls his servant in, and he makes him take a vow to the true God. And not only does he take a vow, like this this is where it gets a little weird. He makes him put his hand under his thigh and make a vow. Now, when we read that, like, you guys, we're going to let this get weird for a second. Scholars believe that what is happening here is putting a hand under a thigh. This is a euphemism for taking hold of a man's sexual organ. Yeah, it's weird. I'll just acknowledge it. But that is what's required here. And so there's this connection, though, that is happening between circumcision and this vow that is going on, between this commitment to following God regardless and this vow that is happening. And it's also to symbolize, may your unborn child avenge me, or avenge you if I do not follow through this vow. It's it's weird, I acknowledge that, but this is the vow that he makes him take. This oath that indicates who you marry matters. This is a very serious oath, a very serious thing that is happening here. So let's keep reading in verses three through four. So once again, he says, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow, allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women, Go instead to my, ho- my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. So Abraham is saying, hey, don't allow my son to marry one of the local women. Go back to my homeland and find him a wife. So what is happening here, is Abraham a racist? No. This has nothing to do about race, and it has everything to do about faith. Although like Abraham's family in the home country, they're not perfect. No, undoubtedly, they're, they're messed up. They have this allegiance. They have this belief into God, into God. Whereas the Canaanites, they believe and they worship all kinds of different gods. They worship gods that require child sacrifice. And they worship gods who, who, who care for violence and, and this sexual impurity that is going on. And, and so Abraham is saying, like, do not let my son marry one of those women. So the one criteria that Abraham gives his servant, he doesn't say anything of what she looks like, how old she is, whether she can have kids, any of those things. The one and only criteria that Abraham says to his servants is that she must be a believer in the true God. Is That is what matters. Is That is who she has to be. And so what does that, what does that mean for us? Simply don't settle for someone who isn't a follower of Jesus. Don't settle Abraham's servant has to go 500 miles to find this wife. So if you can't find someone in, in your proximity, go 500 miles. Go somewhere else, start looking somewhere else for someone who might be or actually be a follower of Jesus. And so the servant replies back in verse five. He says this. He says, But what if I can't find a woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among the relatives in the land you came from? Seems pretty reasonable, right? Like, just assume, metaphorically speaking, of course, Abraham, that I find a girl, but she doesn't want to come back with me. Should I bring Isaac back? Should I bring Isaac to to the people? And it seems reasonable, like that way she can continue her career and he can be with family. And, and should we do that? It seems reasonable, but Abraham, it elicits a very powerful response from Abraham. He says in verse 6 and 7, No, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house to my, to the, and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send this angel ahead of you. And he will see to it that you find a, find a wife there for my son. Abraham's concern is really significant. Is we are not going to walk away from the promise that God has made. The reason that he says don't take Isaac there is because God has swore this land to him and to his descendants. And he is not going to move his descendants out of the land that God has promised them. He is going to follow God's promise where it has led. And he is saying the woman that you find for Isaac needs to believe the same thing. Needs to follow in the same path. Needs to have the same situation. And so don't compromise regardless of the situation. And the story finishes verses 9 through 10. Well, it doesn't finish. It's actually a long story. But for our time together today, it finishes this way. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels and all kinds of expensive gifts from his master and traveled to the distant Aram. And he went to the town of Abram's brother Nahor had settled. And his servant, he does it. He does this thing. He, he and God, we read through the story, God grants him success and they find a wife called Rebecca for Isaac. And everything's happy and they get married. Blah, blah, blah. And the romantic stuff goes on. The romantic music plays and the story comes to an end. But I love this idea. As the servant just, he does it. He knows what kind of man Abraham is. He knows the kind of person of integrity Abraham is. And so he follows the vice. He follows what Abraham tells him to do. But later on, we walk through the narrative of the book of Genesis. Two chapters later, Isaac and Rebekah have a child, have a couple, but one of them is called Esau. And what we find in Esau's story in Genesis 26, we find this. It says at the end of the chapter, verses 34 through 35, it says, At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives. Both, but, catch this, the end of verse 35 says, But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Married ungodly people, and it makes their life miserable. That idea of miserable can also be translated grieved. It grieves them. And so we see dating and marrying a believer, it's important. Just practically, if you have to beg them to go to church now, how are you going to feel doing this every single week for the rest of your life? How exhausting is that going to be? Marrying a believer matters. And so the smartest thing that you can do is to link up with someone who is tethered to the Lord. The smartest thing that you can do in a relationship as we begin to evaluate these processes is that is this someone who has tethered their life? Is this someone who is following following Jesus? It's the smartest thing that we can do. Because when we start to think about some of the characteristics perhaps that you want in a mate, do you guys want someone who is faithful? Somebody who's joyful? Someone who loves? Someone who's patient? Someone who's kind? Someone who who does these some of these things? You guys know where these come from? They're the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You want someone like that? The source of that? It's from the Holy Spirit. The source of that comes from God. And so the smartest thing that we can do is tether our lives to someone who has committed themselves to the Lord. And so that's, that's why. That's who. Let's, let's get to the how question. How are we going to date? Are we ready? One of the first things that we're going to see is, is to help make better, to help make people better, or to affirm an identity. So this week I was, I was reading an article about how to know that you are the perfect mate. And not only was it just some person, it's a religious, or not a religious, it's a relationship expert wrote this article. So clearly it has to be right, okay? And here's what they say. Number one, number one way to know that you have the perfect mate is you travel the same way, literally. That's, that's like, if they want to camp and you want to, live, you want to stay in a hotel, you're probably not a perfect mate. I was like, I don't really make a lot of sense. But sure, Like, you travel the same way. Are you somebody who wants to bring a lot or someone who wants to bring a little? And, and so like, that's one way that you know that you're a perfect mate, that if, if they want to stay in a hotel and you want to camp, apparently you're not. That's what the, uh, the relationship aspect says. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, the next one's pretty simple. You like doing common interests together? Okay, sure, that, we, we can give you that one. The next one is, and this really contradicts the first one, but it says like you have the correct balance in your life. And I was like, what does that even mean? That's ambiguous. But it's this idea of like, you know, if you're outgoing, maybe they're a little bit more reserved. The yin and yang kind of thing. And I was just kind of thinking as I was reading through this article, like that contradicts everything you said in number one. But sure, we'll take that. It has the right balance. And the fourth thing is just they make you feel good about yourself. And and so this is what the the, the relationship experts begin to see. This is how you know that you have a perfect match. And as good as some of those things might be, is there is something much deeper something much more important to make you a perfect match if that is even a thing because here's the reality and I want to make sure we hear this we are looking for a person to love not an object to consume we are looking for a person to love not an object to consume we are not constructing a robot of human parts to kind of just meet all these other things, these thoughts and needs that we have. We are, we are dating, we are with someone who is made in the image of God. And I find it really fascinating that as you begin to research dating apps, what they've come to find out is the people who date people who match their criteria more closely, those are the people who are actually less happy than the people who do. Because here's the thing, and I know this to be true about me, is I don't have a clue of what we want. We don't often have a clue of what we want. We don't have a clue of what we need. And so, like, when we start to say, okay, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, we're, we're usually wrong. We say, okay, we want someone to be tall, but not too tall. We want someone to be, be pretty, but not prettier than me. Or, or we, we, like, we start doing all these things, like, what, it just doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. And the problem is, too, is we start viewing that person as an object not as someone who is created in the image of God. And so this is what we do. If you want to to think about a perfect partner, here's what a perfect partner does. They spiritually make you better and they affirm your God-given identity. Let's look at just the start of the Bible. Genesis chapter one. I'm sure many of us have read this passage before, but I want to just make sure we don't miss it. Genesis one, verse 26 says this. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You are created in the image of God. You have a soul. You have a God-given image. And so here's what dating is. Dating is for evaluating and blessing. It's for evaluating and for blessing. Here's the question. As the people that I'm dating, are they a better person because they have been in proximity to me? Are they a better person because of the way I have been loving and the way that I have been kind and the way I've been generous and the way I've forgiven? Are they a better person because they have been in proximity to me? Are you a better person because you are in proximity to them? Am I more like Jesus because I have spent time with this person? Not just Jesus is suffering because they're hard to deal with, but am I seriously, am I more like Jesus because I have been in relationship with this person who is walking in this path that Jesus has and they help grow me, they help push me into being the person that God wants me to be. Is that the kind of person that I am? Is it someone who is affirming the identity that I have in Christ? Is that the person? And I'm really passionate about this because this is the story of my life. It's like when I met Tiffany, I kind of went to church. But in meeting Tiffany, I met someone who actually loved Jesus and lived for him. And I just remember the way I started going to church because she was there and I wanted to be around her. But eventually what began to happen is my life started being transformed by the gospel. And that my life started to change because I was in proximity to someone who actually cared deeply about Jesus and in proximity to someone who loved him more than anything else. Because here's the thing, in dating, for all of us, we should be reaffirming the value and the worth that that person has because they are creating creation of God. They are made in God's image. And so when we date people, we should be affirming that, these these undeniable value and rights and and worth that they have simply because they are the person of God, because they are a person created in the image of God. So ask yourself, am I more like Jesus because of the relationship that I'm in? Does this person spiritually push me, encourage me in church attendance to memorize scripture, to step out in faith, to be a person of generosity? Does this person try to get me to compromise or stand firm in my biblical convictions? Do they treat me like a person that is made in the image of God? These are some helpful evaluation questions for us. So the final thing, of how to date is as we do so, we do so God's way. And this is a way that's different than our world. Our world says things much different than what, what the scriptures begin to tell us, and we talked about this passage in the very first week of Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty two. Paul writes his young protege, Timothy, he says Run from anything that stimulates useful lust. Instead pursued righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call the Lord, who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So the question for us isn't how much can we do when we're dating? The question begins to be how close can I get to God? And here's the question. Is the person that you're dating are they helping you to pursue righteous living? Are they helping you to pursue faithfulness? and love and peace. Is this the type of person that we are spending our lives with? Because what begins to happen is we see that the Bible is very countercultural within our world in this. The Bible draws a hard line between what is what is permissible, what is, what is welcome sexually. In marriage, much. In singleness, none. In dating, still none. And this is what we begin to see as we we flee from these things. Because until we have this commitment of marriage, before we have this covenantal love that Stephen talked about last week, until we have that, we are never going to understand the trueness of of love. We're never truly going to understand it. It's never truly going to make sense. And I hear people have said all the time, well, we're essentially married. No, you're not. Because a, a dating relationship, regardless of how long it's been together, it can be dissolved over a weekend. Marriage can't. That's not the way things things go. And so at the end of the day, maybe as you're progressing through these things, these evaluation process, maybe your thought is like, maybe singleness is a better option right now. And there's this quote from this pastor called Tommy Nelson. This is just really profound to me. And I heard this years ago and it still sticks with me. Here's what he says. He says, the loneliness of being single will not be assurged by the loneliness in a king-sized bed laying next to someone who cannot communicate with you about the biggest issues in life. The loneliness of singleness will never compare to the loneliness of having a partner, being in relationship with someone who doesn't, doesn't believe in Jesus, who doesn't have these same values and these same worth of the things that you do. That loneliness is going to be a completely different loneliness, a much deeper loneliness than laying in a bed alone. And so as we begin to walk through this, as we begin to to see what this begins to look like in your relationship, are you now, start leveraging it now. Start leveraging it for the sake of the gospel. Commit to serving at church together. Commit to praying, whether it's with one another or, or separately. Commit to reading your Bibles together. Encourage one another to read the Scriptures, to being spiritually disciplined. Are these the type of things that we are, you're into, that these things that you, you want to become? Help hold each other accountable for being the people that God wants you to be. Be strong in the faith. Be strong as you stand against temptation. Have each other's back in this. Because here's what, as we, as we wrap up this series... We've talked about dating, we talked about marriage, we talk about singleness. Here's what I just want us to end on. Is the happiest people are those who are seeking their master, not a mate. And I think this is so true. It's the happiest people, the most joy that we can have is if we are pursuing our maker, not a mate. Because here's the reality: if we are not walking in step with the Spirit, there's no joy that's going to be there. Because joy comes alone. It comes from the Lord. And if we don't have we don't have God, we have no joy. And so the happiest people are those who are chasing after, they're chasing after God. They're walking after Him. Let me pray for us. Father. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, as we walk through a topic like this, it's maybe not the easiest topic to go through, requires us to ask some hard questions of ourselves. But Lord, I just pray that your spirit will convict us. Your spirit will move us to do the things that you desire us to do. And Lord, at the end of the day, (laughs) we've kicked off the first sermon. If we can trust you with our salvation, we can trust you with this parts of our lives. And Lord, I just pray that this is what we're gonna be committed to We're going to be committed to living for you above everything else. We're going to be committed to being the people that you desire us to be. Lord, I pray that maybe today is the day that we start making this commitment to you. Whether we're single, whether we're dating, whether we're married, God, today is the day that we commit to doing it your way. To walking the direction, the path that you have called us to walk. Lord, I pray that in all of these different relationships that we're in, God, that we don't just see them as a status, a place to sit, but God, we truly leverage them for your kingdom and for your glory. God, that's what we want. That's what I want to see for all of us, Lord, is lives that are lived on mission, leveraged for you and for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. As we get ready to move in a few minutes in a time of communion, this time where we're reminded of the life that Jesus lived. God, help us to live like Jesus. Help us to be like Jesus in every relationship and everything that we do. Help us to be affirming the, the, in the value and the worth that they have because that person is created in your image. And God, I thank you that every single one of us were created in your image and that you love us. And it's at this time of communion we can be reminded of just how much you love us. The fact that you gave your son, your son volunteered willingly to come and lay his life down so that we could be free. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, I